I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum! Astral Radio Z is a horror cult exploitation film podcast by filmmakers, critics, musicians, journalists, and fans for the film obsessed. Here is your host, Derek Terry. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Astro Radio Z. Another week, another podcast. Can you believe this? Is this blowing your mind? Is Derek going to actually do a weekly show? Well, I'm trying. I'm trying my damnedest to start doing a weekly show. I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep up with it, but I'm sure going to give it the college go, folks. With me tonight to talk about a bunch of crazy-ass flicks are my usual crew of guests. It's... Obviously, you know this gentleman, the man, the myth, the legend, the frou-frou drink king of Wisconsin, Mr. Mark the Movie Man, my right-hand man. How you doing tonight, sir? I'm, I'm doing fine. I got my not-your-father's root beer because I'm hitting it hard because we're going to talk about some crazy-ass movies. Oh, yeah. This is going to be a good one. Well, you better – I hope you have a stockpile of them next year. Oh, I do. I, it's a six-pack. It's expensive but worth it. Well, he's going to barely be speaking by the end of this episode after six of those. Not unlike Miss Angelique, who last episode got so drunk near the end she could barely oh, talk. God. I was obliterated. My apologies, but that's that's better than I have been in the past. You lasted all the way until basically where we started promoting ourselves. And then I, know, I could I tell like, Yeah, I know. As I was editing it, I'm like, she's broken. She broke me. Well, the Howling 3 broke me. That's what yeah. happened. It's pretty easy for the Howling 3 to break somebody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I thank you. How you've been doing? Have you have you recovered since that? Well, I was I was up for work at six o'clock the next morning. I was good to go. <laughs> How the hell were you able to do that? I have like Wolverine's liver or something. I don't know. Don't let, uh, what's his name, William Stryker, get a hold of you, because then he's going to encase that uh, superhuman liver in uh, adamantium, and then you'll (laughs) never die. (laughs) Okay, that joke fell flat. (laughs) It's... It was apparent pre-show, and now it, it's full force now that I, I let the cat out of the bag. Oh, of course, you heard him giggling and chiming in, Mr. Scott Davis. He's back for some more. I don't know if he's going to be a happy gent about his pick tonight, but, man, I can't wait to hear about it. How you doing, sir? Call me by my dream name. Oh, God. What is, what is, your, what is your dream name, Scott? I will take you, and we will ride on the teeth of the wind, man. <laughs> I wow. think the vast majority of Astro Radio Z listeners just uncinched their first button on their pants and, <laughs> and are kind of getting themselves ready for some smooth <laughs> conversations. Is that what you're anticipating here, Scott? Uh, smooth? Not so sure. Interesting? Maybe. Yeah, I hope so. Well, thank you for coming on. And last <laughs> but not least, you know his wonderfully darling face from my film, Hole in the Wall. Mr. Andrew Shearer of Gonzorific Films is back to talk about perhaps what may be the craziest fucking movie on this podcast tonight. How you doing, sir? 
good, man. I had to. You know, I really, I really, it was, it was, I thought about a lot of different movies, man. I, I, I knew I wanted to do this show, uh, you know, uh, but I, I really was, then all of a sudden I went, shit. <laughs> right? It's and like it just, it was, you were just waiting for this opportunity all your life. I don't know, man. We'll see. We'll see. I just, thank you. This was a great idea. I'm happy to be here, man. Well, I'm always happy to have you here, Andrew. And what Andrew's talking about is tonight, obviously, you can read the title of our episode tonight is Gonzo's Sequels. And what I mean by that is sequels to films that absolutely take the core concept, either use it and then turn it up to 53 or just completely disregard it and do its own thing in such a flamboyant and over-the-top way that uh, fans of the original film just kind of go, what the fuck is happening right now? What is this? How is this still whatever said franchise was? I don't get it. Um, I, I came up with the, the concept for this uh, episode because I have been digitizing, and I said this uh, in a previous episode, I've been digitizing my entire catalog of films um, onto a hard drive for my Plex server. And every now and then I'll sit down with my, uh, turn on the Plex on my Roku and I'll flip through my horror section. And one night I was just like, Oh yeah, I'll watch hello. Mary Lou prom night two. Vicky's getting ready for the prom. Morning, prom queen. Only nominated, not the winner. But she's about to get a visit from the past. I've been seeing things. Hallucinations about Mary Lou Maloney. That girl who died at our school. My mind plays strange tricks. It's not my mind, damn you, it's Mary Lou Maloney! We're in trouble, you What are you talking about? Mary Lou Maloney has come back. It's like I'm not in control of myself. I am afraid I might hurt somebody. Somehow her spirit has come back from the grave and she will come after you and me. This is the only thing that will protect you. Then be gone. Be gone? Come on. You're not leaving this house. Now, Mary Lou has found her way back. And Mary Lou is coming out to party. As far as I remember, Prom Night was the, the epitome of uh, Halloween clone knockoff films right down to the point where Jamie Lee Curtis is in that film. And I always thought, oh, it was kind of a boring film and it didn't really do anything for me because it's essentially Halloween and Halloween 2. It's the same movie. So I kind of pushed off and never saw the sequels. And I popped in Prom Night 2 and halfway through the movie, my jaw was on the floor like, what the fuck? What is this? How did how did I not see this before? And uh, by the end of it, I'm like, oh, man. One, I have to watch the rest of the Prom Night series, which I'm very glad I did. Because actually the three sequels are vastly better than the original film. And more interesting and stranger and more out there. Um, but then I decided, well, it'd be pretty interesting to sit and bring on 
some of my uh, exploitation fans that know some really weird films to let's sit and talk about some of these sequels that maybe some people haven't heard of before. So obviously tonight I brought in Hello Mary Lou Prom Night 2, which takes the core concept of Prom Nights Gone Awry. The first film obviously was a, a serial killer was killing uh, kids at a prom who had he had escaped from a loony bin, started killing kids. Well, this one, you it starts off with uh, in the 50s where uh, this girl, she's a bad girl, is basically leading multiple men on and eventually at the prom pisses off one of them to the point where when she wins the prom queen, he accidentally kills her in front of everyone and she burns alive and they shut down prom for years. And then later uh, in the 80s, of course in the 80s, this girl opens up this trunk in the attic of the school and gets possessed by with the spirit of this burnt girl, Mary Lou. And it essentially becomes Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, for the rest of the film. is very much a Nightmare on Elm Street clone, almost. But it's so gonzo and so strange and so flamboyantly weird that I didn't know where it was going at any point. Have any of you guys ever seen Hello, Mary Lou? Yeah, I have it. What do you think of that flick, Andrew? I know you're a big Nightmare on Elm Street fan, so did you did you see the connection between the two, how it was kind of aping that series? Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like um, there were, I don't know, there's a lot of references like through the whole movie. It's really kind of like a, some, whoever wrote the script was like, because there's stuff like, there's obviously Carrie stuff in there, but there's some Exorcist stuff, and then the character names... There's like a Carpenter, Ramiro, you know, stuff like I haven't seen it in, in years, but I, I remember uh, there's just like a there's a lot to like if you're a fan of horror, like kind of in general. And I like three also, which is goofier. But um, yeah, I, I got to say, man, I like two more than one. And I like three a lot. This is a badass movie. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I Part three becomes an out and out comedy. The PA system in the school. <laughs> the, the, the chess team meeting has been canceled. The chess team should go to the library and play with themselves. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really enjoyed that. And that was the only one where they continued the Mary Lou story. It was part two and part three, because these are Canadian films. And uh, the, the directors decided they were going to follow this story for these two. And then the fourth one, becomes a, a straightforward, mean-spirited slasher again. And I kind of like kind of like um, uh, Slumber Party Massacre 3, where Sl- Slumber Party Massacre 2 kind of went off the rails. That could have been a great film to talk about in this episode. Yeah. Because um, uh, that's also another Gonzo sequel where part one's a straight-laced slasher. Part two is this rockabilly dream demon, I don't know, the chick band musical, I don't know. Slumber Party Massacre 2 is also awesome. Yeah, the the other Prom Night films are just so strange compared to the first one, but Part 2 and Part 3 are, are vastly superior to the other two. Um, Scott, have you seen this one? I have. Uh, I hadn't watched it for a number of years, and I actually did start to... I mean, I have it on DVD. I actually wound up actually buying it on DVD twice because my it's one of those movies where my DVD collection is so huge that I'll come across the DVD in a store and I'm like, oh, cool, I need to get this movie, forgetting entirely that I have it already. 
because I have like thousands of others. <laughs> well, it was also coming into a bunch of those like Echo Bridge hacks. I wish I could use that as an excuse. I can't. Um, <laughs> there are two completely just nope. Two copies of Prom Night too. Anybody want one? Anyway, but the uh, but uh, I, I hadn't seen it in a number of years, um, and I started to watch it again tonight. Unfortunately, I was not able to finish it before the show tonight. I just ran out of time. But just enough to give my memory going. You're, you're right. I mean, it is very much uh, kind of like a um, a Freddy type movie, especially Part two, Nightmare Two, I would say. And uh, also, you know, it has so many should we say eightiesisms about the horror films. We've got like weird special effects and you know so i think i remember seeing lightning at one some point and stuff like that and i know you saw a lot of it in part three i think there was a little bit of it here too the uh, locker crushing scene which got totally ripped off last year in the filmed lazarus effect oh yeah that let's talk about that that locker scene is literally one of the grossest things i've ever seen in it's a movie. disgusting it's disgusting, and they they ripped it off and put in a bloodless version of it in the movie Lazarus Effect last year. Well, so of course that sucked. But that I mean, yeah, stunk. it was yeah, but it was but it was a it was really gross. I mean, that's the part that I would always remember, even when, at, years after I'd seen it. I would remember wop bop 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 bam, boom, and ooze <laughs> just everywhere <laughs> but it's like yeah i mean this is a great i mean it's 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 a cheesy flick i i agree with you i mean i don't hate the original prom night but it is the ultimate example of the generic slasher it is right down to the formula and everything and um so i mean there's really nothing special about it and this film oh they just went i mean first of all it came out like Five or six years after the original, so I mean it was, or maybe seven years, I think actually. So I mean it was late in coming. Plus, don't forget, decent cast of Canadian actors, including Michael Ironside. One of the main things about this is is that it actually was not slated as a prom night film. It was actually repurposed and retitled. That doesn't surprise me. I was going to wonder if I was actually checking the IMDb trivia, and I didn't quite get down there or anything if they even mention it. But uh, I was, because I was wondering, like, was this even supposed to be Prom Night 2? Because <laughs> it came so much thing. later. Yeah, I wondered the, the same exact thing after I had watched it, because it just, like, it floored me. This one, and then I was like, okay, well, what is Part 3 going to be like? And Part 3 is almost more batshit crazy than this one is. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, but but this but this one, I mean, there are some very serious moments in this. I mean, I think the first person who is killed by Mary Lou or the ghost of Mary Lou or whatever, I mean, it's even before the possession takes place, is this girl who's, like, crying and is, like, despondent because she just found out she was – she's pregnant by some horrible guy – and yeah. then, like a few minutes later, she's killed, and they and they make it look like a suicide and everything. So I mean, that's I mean, that's actually some pretty dark stuff. But it's also juxtaposed with weird stuff like the locker <laughs> killing, like we were talking about. And then there's the sequel, Prom Night Three, which is just goofy, you know, just extremely goofy. But uh, yeah, 
Yeah, I honestly, if you're you're a fan of uh, the more meta aspects of horror comedies, Prom Night Two is perfect. You're gonna dig it. It's it's super fun, and it also ratchets up that what the fuck factor because if you you're a fan of slasher films, you're gonna catch most of the references. But it also, like Scott said, goes in a bunch of different directions you're not expecting it to go. It gets gory and dark in places that right beforehand were kind of light and fun. Um, so it's it's a total what-the-fuck flick. Um, and if you really like that one, I would move on right after you see that one to see Part 3, The Last Kiss. And that one, whatever. I don't even know how to describe it. That thing's so bonkers and so crazy. I would watch those two for sure. And I guess I'm just going to do a bunch of picks. Slumber Party Massacre 2. You should be watching that anyway. You should have already seen that film. Oh, yeah. That's, that film's the best. So, uh, Andrew, go ahead, brother. What's the film you brought in tonight? Okay, my movie that I picked, I think this is from 1998 it's, or 99. It's called uh, Confessions of a Trick Baby, better known as Freeway 2. On your 19th birthday, you'll be turned over to the Department of Corrections to serve a term of 25 years. Life is tough. But Crystal can deal with it. Her friend is a little psychotic. I just got life. I have something to smile about. I've been on America's Most Wanted three times. But fugitives can't be picky. We make it to Mexico, we're home free. Rise and shine, you dirty slut. I'm glad we're gonna be together, white girl. He just killed two senior citizens. You're such a pussy, white girl. What do you think of my new look? I think you look like a big dyke. I think this dress is tight enough. Damn, I better not fart or I'll blow my shoes off. An armed robber that specializes in posing as a prostitute. Want to get some friction going? Sometimes when people play for high stakes, they piss their pants. Either we find them and we arrest them or we kill them. You people live way too long. Natasha Leone, Vincent Gallo, Freeway 2, Confessions of a Trick Baby. We'll buy some new clothes, we'll get our hair done, we'll have a really nice lunch. Confessions of a Trick Baby, and it is a sequel to a cult film called Freeway from 96, which was uh, still considered by some in this area to be Reese Witherspoon's finest film performance. And that in itself is a crazy movie. And uh, Freeway 2 is even crazier if that's imaginable. But what I find is that people uh, either didn't see it on purpose because Reese Witherspoon wasn't the star or because they didn't know it existed or couldn't find it. It was put out by Full Moon uh, as a result of, I guess, Matthew Bright, the writer-director, same guy that made Freeway, uh, having written Shrunken Heads for Full moon. I don't know exactly what how it works because I can't get a hold of Matthew Bright. I would love to talk to him, but the movie is goddamn fucking crazy. It is one of the last true exploitation movies uh, ever made, and we are talking pedal to the metal stuff. It's got uh, women's prison, vomit, uh, lesbianism, all this crazy stuff just in the first five minutes of the movie. <laughs> and the first ten minutes, there's like menstrual blood, and there's you know, it, it just, I'm going to tell you the plot. 
homies. If you've seen Freeway, Freeway is about Little Red Riding Hood. It's basically the story. Um, Freeway 2 is Hansel and Gretel. You have uh, Natasha Lyonne, many know from Orange is the New Black. Uh, she is the main character, White Girl. And she is in the detention center, jail, whatever. Meets a girl, girl named Cyclona, played by Maria Celedonio, I think is her name. She was in uh, The Substitute and Foxfire, some of my favorite cool 90s movies. And she is um, a serial killer. And they escape. And that's when the movie really kind of ratchets up. You could just take the first part of the movie uh, in the prison and it would be fantastic. But the movie is a steamroller of crazy shit that keeps going and going and going until you, next thing you know it, you've got cannibalism, you've got a nun with a penis played by Vincent Gallo, you've got a child pornography ring, you have prostitution, <laughs> and uh, Natasha Leone drunk driving before she actually got arrested in real life. For <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't, I'm not doing this good enough. I watched Freeway 2 uh, in a band I was in when it came out. We watched it over and over. We watched Freeway 1 all over and over until 2 came out, and then we really watched Freeway 2 over and over again. It's just one of the most perfect cocktails of crazy stuff, and um, I wish I could say you could just run out and get it, but you can't. Uh, it's really hard to find, very expensive. Uh, I have the Tartan DVD because our lead singer for her birthday, I gave her my DVD copy like an idiot of the uh, Full Moon version, but um, it's crazy. I, it's it's uh, probably the highest recommendation I can give uh, if you like exploitation movies and wild stuff. You, uh, I'm trying. I won't go into detail about just how wild. I'll let anyone else who has seen it uh, say that. But uh, wonderful dialogue too. Matthew Bright is just a really good filmmaker who stopped making movies because he just didn't get anywhere with it. But uh, he's a really really talented guy. And uh, if you're out there listening, homie, please, I want to talk to you, man. The, the film, for a dude at the point that he made this, was in his mid to late 40s, putting something together that's snappy, as subversive, as energetic, and is outright a middle finger to everything on the face of the planet as Freeway 2 is, it's, it is a roller coaster of a film. It yeah. just like is a freight train running right for your face to smack it <laughs> and pummel yeah. it into the dirt. Yeah, and there's a train in the movie and they kill a guy on it. The only other guy to come back from Freeway 1 is uh, Michael T. Weiss. He, was, he played the, the gross stepdad and they find him on a train and, and kill his ass and take his shit and then kick him off. And the just dump him out. <laughs> Which is exactly oh, what man. should have happened to that guy. Yeah, absolutely. One of, the, one of the things I thought was really funny was toward the end when... Uh, there, they found Vincent Gallo, and he's this uh, transsexual child pornography ringleader, cannibal, or whatever. And everybody's been trying to find Natasha Leone and um, her her accomplice it's since they they escaped from prison. And at the end, the cops, uh, the one cop, just keeps talking about how he, he he's like, "Oh yes, you come to this section of town." And have fabulous sex. You have just <laughs> the best sex. And he, in the middle of like talking with his all the rest of the cops, he just cannot get past the facts that, that the prostitutes in that area of town just give the best sex. Yeah, and he, the, he wants to make sure that they, he's like, when are we going to kill him, right? And they're like, no, we're not going to kill him. We're not going to shoot. Don't shoot. 
<laughs> but there's this whole section of Cyclona and um, White Girl at this old people's house because they just basically come and invade someone's home. These two, these old people, and the first thing they do, there's the people's son is working on his car. They just kick the fucking jack and his car falls down. <laughs> gone. <laughs> like first thing they do, uh, and she's like, "Come on, they got this old vibrator up there. The kind you plug in the wall." She's so excited about this vibrator. There's necrophilia oh. in the movie. Yeah, yeah I mean, that scene gets dark. That's the thing. I'm glad you said that. Thanks, man. You're a great host, Derek Carey. Because here's the, here's the thing I didn't say when, with my crappy way of selling in this movie is that the jokes, he never, Bright, Matthew Bright never goes for the easy joke. And every moment that's violent or fucked up is very violent and fucked up. He does not treat human death and suffering, uh, he doesn't trivialize it. Everything does hit hard. And, um, God, the projectile vomiting is great. God, there's just so much to love about Freeway 2. Dude, as an exploitation fan, as somebody that's been a trauma fan for my whole life and a fan of Herschel Gordon Lewis, um, this film just ratchets that stuff up. It's literally, after watching Freeway 1, Freeway 1, arguably, is also a very gonzo film. Yeah, it's great. It's a good film. This film, though, is far more rooted in sleaze cinema. Yeah. It's far more rooted in exploitation and just uh, more, I don't want to say the bottom of the barrel mentality um, because it's not. It's a very, it, like, conceptually, it's it's pretty highbrow, the amount of references to things that it has inside of it and uh, how um, ingenious it is about how it wraps itself up to be um, Hansel and Gretel toward the end. Yeah, it needs um, to be a midnight movie. I mean, I don't know why this, I mean, I should say, I know why. It's hard to find. They I'll, Put it on Netflix, people. Somebody do something, because the movie deserves to be something more as, as far as cult fandom is concerned than it is. Because to me, mm-hmm. it's, it can, you could sit there and you could put on Reanimator and then this at a party and people go, holy shit. It's oh, great. Absolutely. It will, unfortunately, for the filmmakers... It is on YouTube if you want to see it. You can see it on YouTube. It, it has either Thai subtitles, uh, burned-in <laughs> subtitles on it or something, but it's on YouTube. So if you, if you can't afford the DVD, um, which I would recommend getting because, trust me, any cult cinema and exploitation fan will absolutely adore this film and will chew it up. It is just – it reminded me of, like, early Greg Araki stuff. Mm. Um where it was just it went for the jugular, kind of the way I, I really liked Tangerine this last year. It has that same kind of energy, that same kind of like go for broke. You don't know where it's gonna go any second, um, which I love about films. When films do that and just let go, those are my favorite kind of films, and this I, is absolutely one of them. I was I never say this because you know obviously I want people to make money, but it appears Matthew Bright is no longer making films. He hasn't had any credit since 2010 as an art director on a short. Um, the company that put it out is probably you know what I mean nobody seems to be releasing new copies. So I would say see it any way you can. Watch the YouTube link if you have the movie copy for somebody. I've I have burned this disc for so many people over the course of the last almost 20 years. Yeah, I think I agree. I agree. Any fan of Astral Radio Z will gobble this thing up. Scott, have you seen this one? Yeah, yeah, and I saw this years ago too. Like just like the other one, I did not need a refresher to watch it again because I still like remember it so well. Because this movie, you you can't forget this movie once you see it. Uh, I think that yeah, I think that Full Moon doesn't have the rights anymore. I think the reason they got to to release this was because it was 
they had a brief deal with the Kushner Lock Company, who produced this, and I think that's the same reason why Full Moon released that uh, movie uh, that was directed by John Landis and starring Nastasia Kinski as well. It was called Susan's Plan Elsewhere. I don't, can't remember what it was called here. Something generic. But again, I think one of the reasons this hasn't become a hit is because people just saw it on a shelf and said, oh, they made a straight-to-video sequel to Freeway. How cute. No one's in it. And the they cover was awful. Yeah, and they didn't look to see that, no, wait, this is actually has some really cool people in it, That even if they're not in the original. Wait, this is actually done by the, the guy who did the original. What is this? And, of course, I picked it up right away because it was, you know, I love anything. Like, you know, I saw well, I saw this, like, hey, I'll get it. And I immediately, like, fell in love with it. I actually like this better than the original Freeway. Matthew Bright is uh, one of those great visionary filmmakers who is uh, overlooked. I think one of the reasons he doesn't direct anymore is because his last movie, which I have not seen, called Tiptoes. Oh, it's crazy. Had such a negative response that I wouldn't be surprised if that didn't just kind of drive him where he just said, screw it. Yeah, Bill um, Gibron called it a hate crime. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. It, it, it had it had a very negative response to it. I have not seen it myself. I would like to just because it's done by Matthew Bright. He, this guy, you know, of course, he was hooked up with uh, Richard Elfman and everything back when Elfman did uh, Forbidden Zone, which is this great film. Uh, Matthew Bright's one of the producers. He's of course, did all sorts of weird shit on that movie, and of course had a dual role acting in the movie. At one point, he yells, "The Queen promised to ream us with twenty-inch cattle prods, and I'm still waiting." He says, "A great movie." <laughs> I love that movie so much. Oh, it's so is genius, man. He lives, I think, in a garbage can in that movie or something. <laughs> it's great. Well, no, he's shoved in the garbage can. <laughs> just, just for uh, reference, Tiptoes is available for purchase on. DVD for Amazon, or you can rent the digital copy or buy the digital copy. Yeah, I have tiptoes. Yeah, yeah, it's not a bad movie. I talk about it too, but you know, this is we got a time limit here. Yeah, I still want to see it anyway. But if this film, it, it is similar to Freeway in that Freeway was Bright's twisted, psychotic trip through Americana by way of Little Red Riding Hood, and this is the same kind of a trip through Americana by way of Hansel and Gretel. And it's got the weird bulimia thing. Natasha Leon, I think, is a very underrated actress anyway. Yes. I love Slums of Beverly Hills. I, I I haven't even watched Orange is the New Black, I'll be honest with you guys, because it's just not my She's thing. She's phenomenal but, in that, too. But, I mean, I've liked her in so many other movies, and she was in this. She was also in Richard Elfman's uh, Modern Vampires, which I think Matthew Bright actually did something on that. On he wrote too. it. There you go. <laughs> but this film is just so insane uh, and psychotic. But I, I love that you did point out, Derek and Andrew, that uh, it isn't – even though it's violent and crazy, it isn't, like, done cheaply. Uh, there's that scene after the home invasion where a white girl discovers what Cyclona has done, and he, she just looks at her, like – and she just says, where's your heart? You know, uh, like like that she just gone too far, and I'll just never forget that her like pounding her chest and saying, "Where's your heart?" Uh, it's Freeway Two, Confessions of a Trick Baby. It doesn't deserve to be lumped in with just another straight to video sequel. It is a really really good movie. It's uh, it is total cult cinema, and anybody who's a fan of cult cinema, this is a find. So. Oh, absolutely. I agree with you totally. And I think for the most part, all the films we're going to discuss tonight can be put in there. But I think more so than any of the other films, this film 
will get the most visceral reaction from people that that have not seen it before. It will slap you across the face. It's downright. It it's it's the epitome of films that that I grew up seeking out was this kind of film. So great pick, Andrew. I'm glad you picked it so I was able to rewatch it. I hadn't seen it since it first came out on VHS back in the day. And uh, oh, so good, so good. So let's go ahead and move on. Angelique, what was the film that you brought in? I brought in House 2, the second story. Last year, audiences everywhere thrilled to a terrifying film about the horrors of home ownership. House. Now, there's an all new house. Looks like you got some kind of alternate universe in there or something. With brand new owners. Huh? We got it. And it's getting weirder. Look! It's a prehistoric bird! I got you, Jess! I've seen enough tragedy and disaster to make you want to upchuck in your shorts. Two friends inherit a fantastic house. Charlie, there's a jungle in there. And a 170-year-old mummy. Surprise! Who is this? You can call me Gramps. No. They're in for more trouble than they ever imagined. You're gonna kick the door open, run in there blindly, and I'll cover you, okay? Guy with the big gun goes first. House 2, the second story. This place gives me the creeps. The only thing this movie really has in common with the original house is that there's a house in it. The <laughs> 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 um, IMDb plot synopsis is like two sentences long, does absolutely no justice. Okay, let me start off by saying how much I adore the original house. I watched that movie so many times when I was a kid that I wore out the VHS tape. Like, it snapped in the VCR. I mean, I would watch that thing on the daily. So when I saw House 2 come out, I was so stoked. And I begged my mom, please, mom, please, mom, please, bring me House 2. And she did. (sighs) Was that a good sigh or was it a bad sigh? It's a bittersweet sigh because uh, as much as in my heart of hearts, I feel that, that... House 2 ripped me off. I still absolutely adore it. So, the plot. It opens up with a a couple giving a baby away, and then they get blown away by a zombie cowboy, and you're like, what the Christ? (laughs) (laughs) And the next thing we know, uh, this kid, Jesse, is coming to this gigantic house. Looks kind of like the Winchester Mystery House. All crazy bricks, and the inside's all Aztec, and and stone carving and everything, and there's a funky fireplace with this divot in it, and they're like, oh, that's weird. But uh, Jesse is coming back to the family home to take it over, and then his uh, cousin Charlie and his girlfriend invade, and um, Jesse starts to dig into the family history, and it turns out there's some crazy mystery about these skulls that his uh, great-great-grandfather went searching for in the desert with his partner Slim, and they found these skulls, the partners had a falling out, and the, this crystal skull thing was supposed to have some awesome magical power. Well, the skull has disappeared, and they want to go look for it, and so it, they just jumped to the decision to go ahead and dig up their dead great-great-grandfather. 
<laughs> I mean, logical steps, that's what I would do. But, right, so um, they go to the graveyard and they, they dig him up and they open the coffin and they see the skull and, okay, um, Gramps isn't dead. So they get attacked by a, a mummy zombie and Jesse's like, wait, 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 I'm, I'm your great-great-grandson. And he takes the mask off and he's this cute, cute little cowboy zombie. <laughs> I mean, he just—he was adorable. It's like Even your though, grandpa. It's like your grandpa. They brought back uh, to life and decided to slap a, a dime store cowboy outfit on. Seriously, he was just—he was slimy and gross, and looked like a back of beef jerky in a flannel shirt. <laughs> <laughs> but you liked him. Gramps was sweet. So they go back to the house and and they put the skull in the fireplace and it starts to glow and oh so okay this skull has something to do with the house and Gramps reveals to us that the house is a temple and that he's sworn to protect it from evil. Well then it gets shit crazy. Um, Bill Maher shows up. I remember and, that. <laughs> yeah, he um apparently Jesse's girlfriend is some record producer and Charlie's girlfriend who tie into last episode played the mother in Problem Child. <laughs> You're just going to oh, keep trying to bring wow. Problem Child onto my show. <laughs> I think that's your agenda is you want me to actually have a show about the Problem Child movies. And the funny thing is, I just watched the first one with my kids a few months ago. Oh, oh. nice. Well, you got to see two. Two is definitely a Gonzo sequel. but Oh, I've seen one. both of them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... They're trying to get her a record deal, and Bill, Bill Maher is the, the producer boss or whatever, and, and he has one of the best exchanges in the whole movie. He looks at uh, Charlie and says, who are you, Bozo the Clown? And Charlie says, no, I'm Bozo the Death Machine. <laughs> I just really want a name tag that says Bozo the Death Machine. <laughs> <laughs> I digress. From there, the, the house just goes nuts. There's a Halloween party um, that happens, and... A portal to another dimension opens, and a caveman comes out and steals the skull. And Charlie oh, and Jesse yes. run up, and this room is now a, a, a door to the jungle. And it's like Land of the Lost with an Uzi. And they beat up the caveman. They have to get the skull from a baby pterodactyl. And when they fall out of the tree with the skull, it, I, I'm probably confusing you, but don't worry. You won't get much more sense if you watch the movie. So just... <laughs> But they fall into the basement, and whenever the skull leaves that physical realm, Gramps starts to die, so they have to get it back. Then the next thing you know, it's the next day, and nobody talks about the huge hole in the living room floor that, that leads to the basement. It's actually been magically repaired. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the electrician comes by, who is a, a cliff from Cheers, which is a tie-in to the original house right. because Norm was Roger Cobb's next-door neighbor. Right. Uh, but uh, Cliff is uh, the electrician slash adventurer who starts to rewire the house and opens up a portal to a weird Aztec universe. Um, at this point, the skull has been stolen again by weird Aztec warriors, and they go in here, and the electrician just goes with him like nothing's wrong. He's got a huge-ass sword in his toolbox. He's ready to rock. And they rescue some virgin from being sacrificed in front of the skull, and they kill all the Aztec guys. And I'm just like, whoa, okay, all right, this is this could be scary, but it's not. I mean, the, the movie was funny and and heartfelt. It was PG-13. The original house was PG-13, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I believe it was. No, yes. it was, no, it was R. Oh, was Are it you R sure about that? 
It, I'm positive because I wasn't allowed to go see it. <laughs> oh. And I was allowed to see this one. I wasn't allowed to see the original one for like a couple years later. So, yeah. Well, it's, it's shocking because, I mean, the thing about this film is that as goofy and out of left field the, as the first movie was... There's something. There's an entirely different energy about this film, where yeah. it, it, it it is it, it it starts out really dark, but goes into such a lighthearted place that it can almost be a kids movie. Mm-hmm. Almost it's just a yeah. kids movie. I mean, I I got it yeah. on pay per view before I was when I was still too scared to watch like serious horror movies, but I wanted to watch horror. House Two was one of the first ones I. What I got, and I watched it a lot. Like I, everything she was saying brought back a lot of memories for me. I haven't seen it since I was a kid, but it was a good kind of the gateway movie or a bridge movie because uh, you know there's something to be said for. I think I mentioned this on the um, on the modern horror podcast episode we did, where some of there's not there's this gray area. There's this whole you know for kids horror for kids that's not that's mm-hmm. been kind of an untapped thing. House Two is fine. You can let a little kid watch it. Absolutely, yeah. especially with the caterpuppy. Oh, God, the caterpillar. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, the caterpuppy, yeah. Grandpa feeds him a beer with a baby bottle. And he's like, all right, now you go play. Yeah, I loved <laughs> it, man. And it, it didn't freak me out or anything. And then, of course, House One did. But... Well, yeah, House One was terrifying. <laughs> but I, it was a good horror for a, for a little kid who's a little too – I was too scared to watch horror when I was a little – um, but House 2 was a great one. I watched it a lot. I, I was a big fan of House. Uh, in fact, uh, just a quick little aside is that I was at the Madison Comic-Con last year, and George Went was at the Comic-Con, and no one was at his booth at all. I was Aww. around with my camera, so I asked if I could get a, just a short interview with him, and I asked him, instead of asking him probably what he gets most questions about is Cheers, yeah. no, I asked him, how was it working on the set of House? And he looked at me like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> You're one of those. <laughs> <laughs> Brought up that, but uh, King of the Ants. Yeah, yeah. I did, I did, King I did, of the Ants. I should have oh. mentioned that too. But uh, I loved House One. I loved how crazy it was. It was. It actually creeped me out. I, I, I like all the movies. I was way too young. Shouldn't have been watching them, but I did. And then House Two came out, and yeah, it's a completely different vibe. Um, it's more of an adventure movie than it is a horror movie. Though it's got the horror elements in it in the beginning, it's more of an adventure, almost like a Indiana Jones or King Solomon's Mines type of uh, energy to it, to where, yeah, you could let your kids watch it, and outside of the beginning kind of disturbing parts, it it really takes a more family-friendly tone, and and it's one you could sit with kids and... You wouldn't have to worry too much about it. And yeah, the the catter, the 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 pillar, the the catter puppy. Catter puppy. Thank you. I, I loved the catter puppy and all practical effects too. Great practical effects yeah, in there. Beautiful yeah. practical effects. That, that house was amazing. That house was amazing. The the house that the set that they had. That house was just impressive. Yeah, it's fun. I watched it all the time along with House One. By the scary parts, um, it's got the the beginning with the scary cowboy, and then the ending with the undead horse. That oh, was yeah. cool. Yeah. And and then it just it comes back to the heart because Gramps decides to go on and die, and then Jesse and uh, 
Charlie go into the past again. And one thing I noticed, every time they went into the alternate dimension, they moved forward in time. So you had the first part was, you know, prehistoric dinosaur world. Then you had the Aztecs and then it's the, like the Wild West. So I wondered if they had continued the movies in this vein, would they end up in the future? Well, um, I wish they would have continued the movies in this vein because let's just say the other movies, uh, well, wasn't the, the third one, wasn't it? Didn't they retitle the horror show? It was the yeah. horror show. And yes. a lot of people love that movie. Honestly, I'm not one of them. Not me neither. It's, it's like bootleg shocker. Like it, yeah. it is not a good oh, movie. No, I don't, I I, I've never been a fan of it. Um, the Frighteners, uh, that character yes. of the, the cowboy, I was just thinking while y'all were talking, that's a lot like House 2. Yeah, he was. Yeah, really was, yeah. He reminded me he reminded me a lot of the House 2 cowboy. I love the I love all the characters in House 2. Uh, every one of them is just just fun. It's just unique. It's like they just had these creative ideas of well, where can we take it next, you know? <laughs> it it was, it was such a fun movie. I mean, this was and this was a very much a kid friendly movie. I remember it now. It was done by New World Pictures, remember? Yes. And uh, this was also the period when a New World Pictures had bought Marvel Comics. So they really couldn't get away with, like, you know, advertising some of their more R-rated stuff. Not that it always stopped them. Uh, but House 2, the second story, was, like, on the, in the comic, on the comic book things for, like, about three months. Like, on the back cover or inside cover or some kind of big ad for the House 2, the second story. And they even did a comic book tie-in limited series for it. Of course they did. And it was, you know, it was a... It was it was a it was a fun movie. You could watch it and say, "Yeah, this is more of an adventure film." I like a lot of the uh, kind of nuance that um, New World Pictures. And keep in mind, this is not Roger Corman's New World. This was the people who bought it from him. I liked the kind of new the effects that they would add to their '80s films. I liked that it. It's, it's, yes, it's in a house, so it, they kind of look like movie sets. But you know what? They look like cool movie sets. You know, like that Aztec temple looks really cool. The yeah, I mean, obviously there's no real. There, there's obviously a. a they're a, you're eventually gonna hit the a wall when you go in the vet in the prehistoric times the way it's done. But it still looked so cool and it still looks so imaginative that it kind of. It would look so much better than if they really did go all out and put them in, like, a middle of a giant field or something, you know? Yeah, it's much more fantastical that way. And let's not, yeah. let's, let's not forget, as, and uh, this is a tie-in to our next film, House 2, the second story, has Tina from Friday the 13th Part 7, Lar Park Lincoln in yep. it. Yeah. It was also produced by Sean S. Cunningham. Yes, thank you. Which leads us to our next pick, <laughs> Mr. Mark the Movie Man. Have oh, you're doing you're, you're doing mine next. That's Scott's. Okay. We're leaving it. <laughs> we're leaving Scott's to last because I have a feeling it's going to be the most contentious of all of them, and sure. we could be going on for a while about it. So I figured, let's go on to one. I have a feeling everyone's going to have some smiles about, which is Jason. X. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. Bring it. <laughs> In the year 2455, on a routine training mission, a team of students is about to discover a life form frozen in time. Wow. 
They're on their way back. Prepare for docking and power up the lab. You brought him on board? Everything's under control, ma'am. Jason Voorhees, that's what's going on. He's an unstoppable killing machine. Guys, it's okay. He just wanted his machete back. How do we get off the ship? I don't know. Look, we're gonna be all right. What? Are you high? Uh oh. He's here. You have got to get them out of there. Hey, Slappy. I think we're finally okay. Is that? You've got to be kidding me. Oh, wow. It's been modified. Oh, you think? You guys might want to run. I don't think he's out there. Why don't you just stick your head out and have a peek? Jason X. Uh, I'm going to give my own synopsis because uh, the the IMDb one is just like a PR line. Uh, basically... <laughs> It's set, this came out in 2001. It was set in the future of 2010. Uh, <laughs> and what has happened, and I, I just love this movie from the start. What has <laughs> happened is the government has captured Jason Voorhees and have been doing experiments on said serial killer for years to find out why he regenerates the way he does. I ah, I just love that opening. And <laughs> and so they're going to but they, they they decided that they've done enough experiments for now they're not getting anywhere. They're gonna put him in cryogenic freeze. Who is the doctor that is <laughs> well, I was doing getting there. these experiments? I, I, I was getting there. Okay, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Oh, no, that's okay. Uh so I'm we're very excited, Mark. I'm very we, excited. We have, the, <laughs> we have the one uh cryogenic expert or whatever, Rowan, who's studying the the, the Jason or are ready to put him on ice and who should enter in but the killer from Nightbreed I mean David Cronenberg as Dr. <laughs> Wimmer who is pretty much embodying the character from Nightbreed in this and he shows up and says no no we're not putting him on ice because he's too valuable aka they want to weaponize Jason and use him as a weapon in the field well while they're hobnobbing around old Jason is done being in chains and he he proceeds to take out a soldier and another soldier and he spears uh, a Dr. Wimmer, David Cronenberg's character, <laughs> quite brutally. And, yeah, basically it, it involves him once again chasing said female, but she gets him into the cryo chamber, and she thinks it's all said and done, and, and I've got him locked in there, but Jason had his machete with him, and he Because <laughs> <laughs> they left the machete by so he could <laughs> pick it up later. I, you know... <laughs> How he got his machete, but he gets his machete, and while she does the dumb thing of stare at him as he freezes, he runs the machete through and cracks the cryogenic, so they both freeze. Fast forward to 430 years later. 
or 70, 56 years later. Yes, I did not stutter. 456 years later, a scavenge crew on a spaceship comes down to the Crystal Lake Research Facility, which is long since abandoned. The Earth is trashed, and they find these two preserved bodies. And so what do they do? They decide, let's bring them on board and make them alive again. Well, at least the girl... And so they do the dumb thing of bring Jason on board the spaceship, and she's on board, and they thaw her out, and now they've got all this technology, like nanotechnology, which plays a major important role later on in this <laughs> film. <laughs> so they thaw her out, and she's like, where is he? Where's Jason? And they're like, who? Meanwhile, Jason's fine, and they, they got a great – there's a great scene in there where they pull his eye out. And, and as he's thawing, uh, she's sitting there going, okay, you know, uh, where's Jason? You really can't, you know, is he dead for sure? And then there's a couple that have premarital sex on the ship. And Jason wakes up. <laughs> I, I kid you not, folks. We cut from a scene where there's a couple having premarital sex. And all of a sudden, Jason, who's been on ice for four centuries, wakes up going, I gotta go kill some bitches. Uh, <laughs> he's got a cold boner. Let's let's be honest. He's got a cold boner. He's got a cold boner, and it's the best kill, and it's his first kill in the future. He takes the very lovely uh, character named Adrian, who is played by. I forgot her name. Uh, uh, very attractive actress, because everybody's young and attractive in this, as you should for a slasher. He picks, grabs her face, puts her in liquid nitrogen, looks at her and goes, oh, and smashes it on the counter. <laughs> yes, folks, Jason's in the future, but he can tell when he can do this. Okay, uh, who knows? Who cares? Anyway, Jason goes around the ship, <laughs> and uh, he, he finds a new machete, because the medical of the medical devices they have, one of them is very machete shaped in, in chrome. And now he's in space. The ship's flying off, and basically Jason's running around, killing some folks left and right. And I mean, he's going. The body count is just. He's just wasting all these future folks, and we have you know this, the 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 cryogenic scientist going. Uh, we need to get our ass off the ship because this is Jason. Uh, oh, I missed it there. There's a doctor of the future who wants to earn some money, and he's got some interns with him, and they're on a military vessel. So you got soldiers, and you've got these college students with this professor, and he talks to his black market contact or whatever about trying to get money for the girl, which he can't. But then he mentions Jason Voorhees. This is four centuries later. He mentions Jason Voorhees, and the guy he's talking to goes, Oh, Jason Voorhees? The killer? <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, I, 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 I'm watching this going, Wow, four and a half centuries later, they're still talking about Jason, apparently. Uh, but anyway, Jason goes around and, and he makes pretty quick work of these trained soldiers with futuristic machine guns that can shoot him up. There's a great scene in there where he chops a guy's arm off. Oh, I missed that part. Ah, this this there's film's so all. About. There's, there's I mean, so much. We're in the future, four centuries in the future. They have all of this advanced technology where they're in space. 
But they sure as fuck have an advanced nipple technology on that uh, robot. I was just kidding <laughs> that. They've got we've got a cyborg tech. Uh, we've got a cyborg now, played by Lisa Ryder, KM14, and she wants breasts because well the other girl has them, but the guy can't <laughs> seem to get the fake nipples to stay on her fake breasts. Ah, uh, you know. Do you think maybe Mark that that he made them that way so they were clip on so. If one day he wanted a girl with big cookies, he could have the big cookies. And then if he had where he just wanted the pinpoint nipple, so he could switch out the nipples to, I, to vary it up. I think so. He had to put magnets on the back. He should have just put magnets on the back because then he could swap them out like, you know, refrigerator magnets. Yeah, well, he wanted to micro, it is the future. Yes, well, the future. So what he, if he wanted to put knockers on the knockers? Oh, he could. <laughs> he could because it was metal. So anyway, so you've got the college professor who's trying to sell Jason. Jason wakes up, starts killing off people left and right. He takes out these soldiers with futuristic weaponry because they shoot him up, but that doesn't matter. He's Jason. Uh, he just he aces these guys, uh, and the interns are and and the professor and his students are about the only ones left, and and our girl from the past, uh, and and KM, but they modify KM to just be this badass, hot uh, Kate Beckinsale looking from underworld type of girl. They upgrade her so she can finally fight Jason, who's taken out most of the crew, and so she fights Jason. And she messes him up good. She blows his arm off. She blows his leg off. Uh, blows him through a wall. Uh, Jason just keeps going. But she, Jason even looks surprised like, oh, I'm, I'm actually getting hurt. What the hell? And <laughs> so she blows him away. He lands on the medical table. No one notices that he lands on the medical table <laughs> with the nanites. They're like, oh, we blew off half his head. We'll leave now. And, of course, the nanite technology comes and goes, oh, he's hurt. Let's fix him. And they make Uber Jason. Cyborg Jason. Just what I've been waiting for. I've been waiting for – we had regular human Jason. We had zombie Jason. Now we have cyborg Jason. We have, it's like wet dreams. My childhood wet dreams came true. We have <laughs> cyborg Jason. Who's got a badass mask and his arm's been replaced with badass metal arm and leg and he's now even stronger than before. I mean that's why they call they call they title him Uber Jason, played by Kane Hodder fantastically, by the way. Uh, and yeah, so Uber Jason follows the rest of the survivors as they're uh, trying to wait. Oh yeah, by the way, Uber Jason decides to take out the pilot of the ship, which is about to dock with a space station. So this ship plows through this... I don't know who engineered the space station, but anyway, this ship just plows through this space station and blows up a space station. They're trying to escape the ship before they blow up, and Uber Jason chases them in tow, and do they make it off the ship? I'll leave that bit hanging out, but... In any case, you want to talk about a film that just goes off the rails and goes, you know what? Ah, fuck it. Uh, <laughs> Jason in space, for Christ's sake. Oh, we had, we had, you know, you had Hellraiser in space and Leprechaun in space. You know, why not have Jason in space? 
Uh, and it works, though. This film is so much fun. It's it, it's the tenth Jason, and they do so many uh, references to the original. But at the same time, and this kind of goes into uh, a shameless plug, an episode that I've got coming up. It also rips off so many sci-fi horror films, namely, and they were doing this on purpose. Alien and Aliens. Yes. Did, I mean, you've got your character who's been asleep for so long, and she wakes up, and the the bad guy that she was fighting in the original, only this is all in one movie, uh, she wakes up, and he, that bad guy is on the ship again, just like Ripley and the aliens, to the point where you have the professor, the the, the military guys are being killed by Jason, that? and what does Jake, what does the professor say? It's okay. Uh, they're trained for that. I mean, he's practically ripping dialogue from aliens. Uh, this. I um, know what I liked, Mark, was uh, that you have these, uh, other than the, the entire fucking movie, it's one of my favorite Jason movies, but uh, you have these students that are on this space station. They're there. You know, they're supposed to be, you know, medical students. And usually medical students you would you would perceive to be people that are there to help people. Yeah. Instead, you have these students that all they want to do is go and fuck. Like, yeah. All the time. <laughs> they do. It was kind of all- like Grey's Anatomy in space. <laughs> well, and then the professor too—he's banging one of his uh, students, and and by banging he means he invites her into his his room, and she takes a a pincers and pinches his nipples while he wears lingerie, and she wears an S and M outfit. I mean, you know, that's why I mean by banging. Um, <laughs> this film, compared to the rest of the franchise, is just—it's it, insane. It 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 does send up scenes. It, they replay, replicate, and I'm going to spoil it because it's just so much fun. They replicate the sleeping bag scene, which apparently uh, Kane Hodder, uh, he w- it was an ode to the scene he did in, I think it was Seven. 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 And the reason he did it in seven, it was an improv scene from what I've read because he was so frustrated for doing the same scene over and over again. (laughs) And he grabbed the sleeping bag and banged it against the tree. And we get Kane Hodder playing Jason X, Uber Jason, doing the same thing to virtual uh, uh, college uh, camp counselor girls. <laughs> I mean, really, this film is a bad... Jason's in better shape in this film than he is in 7 and 8. He's got most of the uh, skin on his spine, and his head is, is gooey, uh, but, you know, he's looking pretty good here. But, yeah, it, it was being a send-up, not, you know, it was paying homage to some of those early great classic Jason stuff, and at the same time, it was just being its own thing. Yeah. It, <laughs> it's it's a great film. I think if you're going to liken it to anything else within the series, part 6 and part uh, 10, Jason X, are kind mm-hmm. of like brother and sister. My two yeah. favorites. Yeah. <laughs> part 6 is much more straight-laced as, as uh, like, per the setting, in in the overall tone, but it's very much a send up of what came before it, and it's more of a comedy and a satire than it is a legitimate horror film. And then Part X um, is like if you took that film and decided you had watched uh, uh, Brian Trenchard Smith's uh, Leprechaun Four in space, and said, "Oh, I think you can make a Friday the Thirteenth film like this," <laughs> and 
and, and, and go that route with it. Because I personally think Leprechaun 4 is also another Gonzo sequel where they just went off the rails. I think these that would be a great double feature. Would be Jason X and Leprechaun Four. Hellraiser, Hellraiser takes itself a little too seriously, but Hellraiser Bloodlines was in space too. So, um, and Critters Four. And Critters Four. Oof, oof. <laughs> but then, I didn't say it was good. I just said it was But yeah, I mean, uh, what do you guys? I mean, Derek loves it. I love it. I know people that despise this film, and I just, I'm like, you don't see the fun. In this movie, and plus the highest body count of every any Friday the Thirteenth film. It's Go got ahead. some of my very favorite kills. Yes, yeah, the the um the frozen face kill is great. The the drill. He drops a guy on this drill. Oh, I don't I know. I think he's screwed. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I. It also don't forget it has the highest body count of probably any see any slasher film because there must have been like about a thousand people on that space station. I think in an interview I read somewhere they said, yeah, there was probably about twenty thousand people on that space station, and they just blow it up like like Jason just caused about. 10 9-11s just now. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes total sense. Andrew, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I um, I bought a bootleg of it um, at a convention because uh, it took a really long time for it to come out, but it came out in Germany first. So it's got German subtitles and unfinished CG. Ooh. <laughs> so my, my wife is a huge Sci-Fi Channel fan, and the first thing she thought of was when we started watching it was, Holy shit! All of the people from the shows I watch are in this movie. So it's, yeah. <laughs> it, it really, uh, later I ended up buying the. I guess there's a DVD that has Jason Goes to Hell and Jason X on the same disc yes. or whatever. And it was the first time I watched it properly since the bootleg, and I was like, "Wow, this is like a Sci-Fi Channel movie, except really good." And <laughs> you know, I can't really. Everybody else said all the really great stuff about it. It's just. Uh, I'm. I know Derek. You love the Friday Thirteenth movies, but me being a uh, an Elm Street guy, I like a degree of fantasy uh, and a degree of like you know humor that I feel the other Friday the Thirteenth didn't necessarily always have. Um, I just like things to be, and it. Uh, that's why I like Six so much uh, because of the whole zombie thing more so in Seven, which I also like. But I love Jason X, and I would love to see so many more concept by the 13th movies because just look at what kind of creative possibilities it opened up to him that mm-hmm. it never did before I mean that's kind of the legacy of Jason X that it didn't get very good reviews when it was out and I thought that was really kind of unfair because it was so cool but like um, I feel like in the fan community most people had seen the a lot of people had seen the bootleg and the enthusiasm for it because you remember, like, Freddy versus Jason was just never happening. Right. And that's kind of why they made this, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Jason goes to space before he fights Freddy. Holy shit. Right. But, uh, <laughs> you know, um, could they get Freddy versus Jason in space happening soon? I would love that. Dude, I was always wanting, because I was there opening night <laughs> when this came of course out. You were, I, man. <laughs> but it was a bomb, right? Oh, dude, nobody was in the theater. I was living in Seattle at the time, and I drug my uh, my then-wife uh, to the theater, and we were literally two of four people in that theater. And 
Why did I walked away so jacked because I had such a good time because it was so ridiculous, so uh, satirical that I was just like, holy crap, they're going to put Jason on another planet the next movie. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> And then, it, then it never happened. Well, why yeah. didn't people go? What do you think? Why? Why did I? Cause I couldn't figure out why nobody. You know what I mean? Like, was the Friday Thirteenth fan base gone, or you know what I'm saying? Like, cause it well, was before. It was after Scream, but before Saw. I mean, what was I by mean, what? 2000? Well, it was 2001, as well when it came out. Well, April 2002 is yeah. when it actually was released to Scream. Yeah, it took forever. Yeah, that guy that bootleg looked like shit. I, I wonder if I still have it. It's a VHS. Like, considering the times, horror was a hard sell around that time anyway because of the events of real life. And I think that might have had some effect on it. Other two is we're in the new century now, and I, you know, people may have felt, oh, that's been done already, or Jason X, oh, come on. And I'm like, no, it hasn't been done. The whole irony mm-hmm. thing wasn't happening yet well, either. I also, think it, oh, slasher I know, I think, films died. Slasher films died. Yeah. And remember, like you had said, a lot of those more graphic horror films went to the wayside after 9-11 because a lot of people, a lot of companies were very skittish about putting out graphical graphic horror films. Well, in yeah, general. but this but this was remember this was made before 9/11. It was it was supposed to come out like in 2000. Right. And, and so and I think part of the thing was now okay I gotta, I gotta just say for the record, you know, and I know that I'm the only one here, and you know, you shouldn't really be surprised by this because you've gotten on my case for it before. But I hate this movie. Uh, but, <laughs> but I'm not gonna, go, but I'm not gonna go really off on on why I hate the movie. There's a review on my site, <laughs> you know. But, uh, but I, but I think part of the reason is that I think a lot of the humor was kind of that post scream humor, even though they tried to combine it with the. Uh, more traditional Friday the 13th sex and violence more than, say, like some of those things. So there was kind of like this hip factor to it. Plus, already by this time, they had had Leprechaun 4, Hellraiser 4, Critters 4, and they said, and it was known as, oh, now Jason, you know, so it, there was like kind of this preconceived notion that, oh, whenever they run out of ideas, they send their killer to space. Yeah. And there was kind of, that was kind of the thinking, I think, of a lot of people. And they had lost all of their ideas, and this that was makes me want to see them more when they're in space. Yeah, Thank and that, but that was the idea because we they had already done it several times before, and I think that, um, ironically, I think it was because like all the there were so many of those like uh, mid '90s dimension movies and the sequels and everything like that, and I think this kind of reeked of one of those. Yeah, and then you add to the fact that it took two years for it to, for that for this. Company to finally get around to releasing it. They kept delaying it and delaying it. Oh, we're kind of not yet, not yet. That I think, yeah, I think they did it. Now, there was, I do want to say for the record, for people who are interested and they don't mind it, I have not read them. But uh, around this time, there was a paperback company that was making paperbacks of a lot of movies, uh, a lot of the characters. They did a couple, few Nightmare on Elm Streets. They did a few Friday the 13th books. They did a few... Uh, they did a few uh, Hell- Final Destination bo- books, and they also did a few Jason X books. So mm-hmm. if you can find them out there, there actually are like two or three books yes. that are continuations on from Jason X. I don't know if they're any good, but for fans of the you know of the movie, that's at least something that you can like the sit down with it and tr- try to do it. Sorry, say again. 
No, I was going to say, if the person that wrote the Freddy ones wrote the Jason X ones, they're badass, because the Freddy ones are great. I was going to say, the only ones I've read of the books was the first Freddy book they did, and I was like, holy shit, why wasn't this one of the movies? Because yeah, that was really good. <laughs> oh, man. I The only Jason novel I have, because we're not going to get into talking about the the Crystal Lake Chronicles. We'll we'll leave that for for some <laughs> other time. Plus, I don't want to really advertise those on my show. Are they like um, Sweet Valley High, except everyone's murdered? They yes, are. Yes, they yeah. are. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I was kidding, but that sounds awesome. It's so yeah, it's no, it's basically it. But the only other, the only novel I have novelization I have from the series is Freddy vs. Jason, mm. and uh, that's not really all that. Well, neither was the but, movie, but that. But, but I also, you might might disagree with me on that too. <laughs> well, you can go back to episode four of Astro Radio Z if you wish to hear our opinions on Freddy vs. Jason, because we really went into it. So go back to episode four, folks. Download it. Oh yeah, but, that was uh, before my time. <laughs> yeah, Jason. Jason X. It, it's fun. No, I'm not saying it was a great straight up horror. But for the series, for the subject of Gonzo sequels, the fact that they went this route and they took Jason, and Jason doesn't seem to miss a beat that he's in a spaceship. He he don't give a rat's ass where he's at. He finds something that looks like a machete, and he goes to town. And that's what I loved about it. I, I just loved that they pretty much just threw the formula out the window and went, Let's just do this. Yeah, that's what I like the most about it, Mark. As as Andrew had said, and as you've heard many times on this show, I'm a Friday the 13th fan through and through. And this brought about all of the stuff that I loved about Part 6, which is my favorite of the series. All of the humor, all of the stabs at itself, all the body count. Um, Jason just being this immovable force that you just have to try and make the environment around it interesting because he's just there to kill everything that's on screen and just ratchet it up to 11 and made it almost so self-referential that uh, as a fan of the series, it was a joy to watch. I really, really, really like Jason X and always have. So uh, I'm so glad and so happy you brought this on, Mark. Because <laughs> I, I really, I every time I've shown this to people, it's always been received with open arms, and everyone's always giggled and laughed with it. Which I believe it's supposed to be a super fun group movie to sit and watch. It's Jason in space. It's a stupid fucking idea, and it, it works well because the 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 writer and the director get it, and they oh, went yeah. for it. Oh, yeah, they went for it. And, in fact, they could have very well, and I don't know, I haven't seen a lot of interviews. I'm not as versed as you are in, in Jason Dumb, but they could have very Jason well. Jason Dumb. <laughs> Jason Knowledge, excuse me. I didn't mean to say Dumb, but. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's saying Dumb Butt, too, by the way. Yeah, Dumb Butt. Uh, yeah, great. Now you got me. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> they could very well have came up with this idea, though, to poke fun at those other horror films that decided to take it into space, which is kind of the feeling I got a little bit with this as well. They were like, you know, let okay, the other guys did it. What let's what if we put Jason in space? Let's just let's just roll with this. Where can we go with it? You know? And so that I think very well that they were poking a little fun too at the other long running quote unquote long running horror franchises that suddenly went into space because 
they did run out of ideas too, or that's the you know the uh, thought process and why they did them. So yeah, Jason X is fun. I, yeah, yeah. Todd Farmer, the writer of this, has gone on record many times that I mean, this is this is a film where they were they were taking shots at everything. So they had a lot of fun making this film. So awesome. Let's take a short break, folks. And when we come back, we're going to talk about probably the most heated Gonzo sequel of all time. So I want you to listen to this hot-ass track by my buddy's band, Casket Robbery. And when we come back, we will talk about Scott's pick. Have at it. She killed that mom. 
Welcome back, folks. Here we are, the last pick of the night, Mr. Scott Davis. I've I've held on to it for this very moment. This is the climax of our episode. Does that does that make you hot, Scott? That you got you oh. got the climax of the episode. I'm climaxing right now. Oh, I hope you're always climaxing, my friend. <laughs> so why don't you tell the listeners what is the pick you brought today? My pick for uh, the, when he said that we were going to do Gonzo sequels, sequels that completely go off the rails, immediately what came to mind was, oh, Exorcist 2, The Heretic. Four years ago, The Exorcist shocked the world. Now, the struggle between good and evil goes on. Exorcist 2, The Heretic. I could have picked Blair Witch too. I mean, that's one that really goes off mm-hmm. the rails. Oh, man, yeah. Uh, but uh, this, no, I'd say no. I think the epitome of it, for me anyway, is Exorcist to the Heretic. And my feelings on this movie are very complex. I am going to struggle to do this justice. And I don't know if I can. If I ramble on too long, you can let me know or whatever. But I want to set a scene before we actually talk what the movie is. This movie, you got to understand that this was the 70s. This is 1977 this movie came out, uh, like three or four years after the original Exorcist. And sequels had always been around, but they had just really started taking off kind of in the 70s. And then in, by the 80s, they just went nuts. Um, and so what studios were doing were they were looking for sequels to their most prestigious things at this point. Think about this. This is before Star Wars was a, was a big thing. This is uh, before Jaws 2, before all that. They looked at what their, what is our most iconic stuff. So they, so um, Paramount had, had made a sequel to their most prestigious film, The Godfather. And, 20th Century Fox had their uh, big hit of the uh, 70s, The French Connection. Okay, we'll do one for that. What does Warner Brothers have? Well, Warner Brothers had what was before Jaws, and not counting for inflation, the biggest hit of all time, 
The Exorcist. So this was a huge movie, and this actually was, at the time, the most expensive film ever produced by Warner Brothers. And they try- immediately they tried to get a sequel going. Um, William Peter Blatty and William Friedkin immediately they hashed some ideas. They said, you know what, we can't do anything really. The producer really just kind of wanted, kept put- pitching ideas. He just kind of wanted another like follow cheap follow-up to the exorcist and everything but they're kind of like you know everybody from italy is already doing cheap knockoffs of the exorcist let's not do that so they didn't get any of those people uh ellen burston said no lee j cobb died um father dyer was supposed to be in the film uh he uh had to decline and so they they went to other people and said god we got to retool this thing John Borman, one of the directors who was approached about doing the original Exorcist, was brought on, and he was kind of intrigued by the script, but he wanted to do rewrites because he wanted to incorporate all these other ideas, and they did incorporate those ideas. And that is what a lot of the people who worked on the film, like Linda Blair and Louise Fletcher and Richard Burton, all said, you know, that's what sunk the film. They kept rewriting it. It made no sense. But I would say that that's where the heart of the movie came because this is very different from The Exorcist, which was a straight horror film and everything. This film has horrific moments to it, but it is this weird metaphysical journey through spiritual and psychic phenomena and even uh, ends with a message of hope about a new age of possible healing. Which is completely different, <laughs> of course. Well, let's remember, Scott, that this director, before, right directly before he made this film, he made Zardoz. Zardoz, and he actually yes. he actually opted. Now, remember, Borman, who had done acclaimed films, you know, he had Deliverance to his name, which was, of course, it's huge. But yeah, he opted not to do Exorcist so he could do Zardoz. <laughs> Thank fuck, because yeah. Zardoz. Oh my god. <laughs> the penis is bad, guns are good. <laughs> which is which is pretty much the uh you know political like message of some people these days. <laughs> but, uh, the, <laughs> but anyway, so I'm gonna set the the tone. It's now a few years later. Um Ellen Burstyn didn't come back to the sequel, so they say that she's off on location somewhere and we really never hear much about her. Reagan McNeil is going through this experimental therapy with this doctor played by Louise Fletcher that that involves her going through a process called oh god what, what I'm I'm looking it up so I can so I don't screw it up it was the oh yes the sync this machine they hook her up to this machine called the synchronizer which allows people to go in sync through synchronized hypnosis and she can, like, regress into her memories, and then Louise Fletcher can psychically see her memories and stuff. It's fucking weird. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> she's going through that because they think that she doesn't remember any of these issues uh, about her possession. And, of course, Louise Fletcher's kind of skeptical about the whole possession thing. She's very much rooted in science. And... Um, she says, I think this person needs, is regressing a lot of weird memories and has a lot of guilt, and they have to do this. Now, Richard Burton plays this uh, priest who was a friend of Father Marin, who you'll recall was played by was Max von Sydow's character in the original, who passed away while trying to exorcise the spirit from Reagan. Um, 
Yeah, I'm, God, I'm, still, I'm already trying to keep it straight, okay? So, <laughs> I'm fucking up, I'm fucking up. But he's, so he's got a crisis of, he's having huge crisis of faith, kind of not the same as Jason Miller's character in the original Exorcist, because he, because Richard Burton believes in God because he keeps seeing demons everywhere he goes. He just thinks that God's abandoned us. He begs to be let go of his duties, and instead he's set on this uh, mission to find out what really happened to Father Marin, because now Father Marin's old writings where he had talked about a new age of uh, these healers and everything has come to light, and the, and the church is be going like, what? We, <laughs> we can't have that. that. That sounds crazy. We can't do this. So he goes to try to investigate, meets Louise Fletcher, meets uh, Reagan, played by Linda Blair, and immediately, like, jumps in on this synchronizer machine. Oh, I know where she is. Get, get me on the machine. And so Richard Burton is, like, strapping electrodes to himself as a strobe light goes on. And he's, like, finding out what's going on. He discovers, he says that Louise Fletcher has stumbled on this incredible uh, scientific breakthrough that allows people to communicate telepathically and allows people to... Uh, uh, and shows proof of the soul and shows proof that... Reagan is still in the clutches of a horrible demon, and he says, I think she remembers everything that happened, and she is out there facing it herself because she is so scared. And that is actually what's happening. What, ha what he ha winds up doing is Richard Burton tries to help her, and, he fi and we find out that Reagan was possessed by the demon Possessed by possessed, possessed by the demon. <laughs> that was a nice slip of the tongue there. Possessed by the demon Pazuzu, which is from William Peter Blatty's original book, though it didn't get mentioned in the movie. And they actually go on to who Pazuzu was in ancient Mesopotamian mythology, that he was the evil demon of winged creatures. So like you often see him as a really bad looking locust with rear projection and stuff like that. Oh my god, that looks so terrible. And don't and, forget James Earl Jones. And that's what I'm saying, yes. And, and, and so we find out that he was possessed by the demon Pazuzu and that Father Marin had fought Pazuzu before. This was the uh, exorcism that was spoken of in the original movie and they show clips of that where he helped this African boy who was saving his village from these locusts and was this great healer. Richard Burton goes to Africa to investigate, finds James Earl Jones to say, how can we save Reagan? Because she's in trouble. She's being, she's still got this little battle going on deep with Insider. It's just repressed. And they find out that what Pazuzu has been doing is that Pazuzu has been sent by Satan to possess the bodies of people who have an innate gift to reach out to the afflicted and heal them. And so, like, basically it would be like a new age of messiahs. And Reagan is one of these people. And that now Richard Burton's character has to help her find this. But here's the problem, is that in order to reach this, he had to contact Pazuzu deep within Reagan's dreams. The priest is also afflicted by Pazuzu. Here's the thing, I have this tug of war going on within myself about this movie, and I always called it a fascinating failure, like so many other movies that I still go watch. But like most fascinating failures, I find myself going back and back and back and back and watching it again and again. And this last time I looked at the movie and I said, God, 
I don't even think I can say I dislike this movie anymore. Because this is because because here's the problem: there are the staging of the sequences are so cheesy, the effects are so poor, which is weird because they did spend so much money on this movie. Uh, but the special effects are so weird. There are weird snatches of dialogue where uh, James Earl Jones says, "If Pazuzu comes for you, I will spit a leopard." I mean, it's awesome. And but. Here's the thing. The ideas at the heart of this movie and what it's saying is really incredible. It's really fascinating, and it's such a ballsy way to go. And there are so many parts where no matter how many parts are play poorly, like Linda Blair's performance and uh, weird bits of dialogue, like, I was possessed by a demon. Don't worry. He's gone now. And stuff like that. And that it's still really good. Another part I will just say really quickly is that since they could not get the Chris McNeil character back in the movie, her mother, they rewrote that character to be uh, Sharon, the care, the home, the, the the housekeeper from the original film who came back to be a caretaker for Reagan when her mother's out of town, and she has this crisis of faith. Uh, that has a very interesting and kind of serious, tragic arc that is one of the most fascinating things in the movie to me. There's a lot to dislike about Exorcist 2, but there's a lot to really like it. So I, I dig this movie. I think I actually like the movie now, despite its glaring, glaring problems. It's a seriously strange film when you're it coming really from, is. like you said, the straight-laced first film, and you go to this with a lot of heady metaphysical, philosophical concepts, and you're try it tries to set everything up in one centralized location, and then it scopes out through her mind. Mm-hmm. It's in a very interesting way, and I can understand how a lot of people. Um, rejected this film outright because it, it wasn't the first film. Oh, but, it's but the, completely different. It's the opposite of this first it, film. It absolutely is. But what I liked about it is it was a, it felt it had that same claustrophobic kind of feel that the that the latter part of the first film had, but then went into such strange places that um I found it very, I, I found it really engaging. I like really weird shit, and kind of like Andrew. I know Andrew trumpets this a lot. I like films that sometimes don't make a lick of fucking sense, and that's really cool to me. That I don't know where the fuck it's gonna go. Andrew, what do you think of this? Well, oh man, you know, I, I I put on Facebook that I learned how to be a movie fan from my my dad and my grandpa. My dad was a huge fan of The Exorcist. And we had the tape of The Exorcist 2 in the house. He bought it. And, you know, that was when VHS was pretty expensive, you know. And oh, yeah. it, had a, it had a reputation for being crappy. I mean, it was a big story that the director recut it immediately while it was in theaters trying to make people like it. And that people were running down the street and it was a riot. It was just, you know, it was just <laughs> a movie or whatever. But, you know, it's like with, with any sequels, you think about, all right, when it comes to Hollywood... Why would anybody give up money for a, a part two or a part three or whatever? It's because money. They want to make, you know what I mean? It's not because people were dying to know more about The Exorcist. Yeah. It's because people liked Exorcist 1, so we're going to have two, three, four, whatever. <coughs> um, but here's what I hate about, well, a lot of times I'll stop watching a movie before it's even over 
because to me, backstory, I don't care. And um, the worst thing you could do with a sequel is to take away from what was great about it by um, making it less scary. And um, explanations to me aren't scary. I don't care. I really don't care. I'm not interested in them. And so if you want to talk about it being a failure as a, a movie, well, by Hollywood terms, Exorcist 2 is a failure because it doesn't just rehash what happened in part one. You know, or it doesn't attempt to be scarier than part one. It tries to be its own thing, which is what we claim we want from movies, period. But Exorcist 2 is an example of how not really, not so much, not really. Yeah. But I like Exorcist 2, and my memories of it are good. Um, I think it's a great-looking movie. William Fraker, cinematographer, shot Rosemary's Baby, one of my favorite movies and one of the best-looking movies um, Ennio Morricone's score is great. Um, the special effects are awesome. So it's like it's not the first Exorcist, but if you want the first Exorcist, watch the fucking. You know, what I mean, I have yeah. a, I have a problem with just like people getting mad at sequels in general, uh, you know, or remakes or any of that stuff. Because I'm just like, make up your mind. You know, do you want the first movie again? If so, just watch it. Or do you want to try something new, even if it's a failure? I think is cool, and that's why to me ultimately Exorcist 2 is cool because at least it doesn't copy part one, never tries. Exactly. I couldn't agree with you more on that. I think if you want to see an abject failure of this series along the same lines of what you just described as something that decides to explain away everything about the series is that part four, that that prequel. Exorcist the beginning. I was going to say that one is terrible. I've never seen this movie unedited. I've always seen it on TV. Oh, and interesting. I've never that, seen it in that form. I yeah, have it has that crap it has that crappy beginning with the still frames that explain tries to explain the plot of what you're about to see. Right. And and so <laughs> wow. this is this is a totally like I, I really my street cred is slipping because I've never I, I didn't know I was in the camp that didn't know Freeway 2 existed. Um Good. Now you do. I do, and I'm totally. <laughs> I had time because I've been working all weekend because of the snowstorms. Um, but uh, I, I never saw Prom Night Two because the box scared me so bad as a child. Oh, it's great artwork. It yes, is not the DVD. The her view. eyes, her eyes kill me, and I'm like, oh, I don't, I can't, I can't. But you know, I'm I'm coming from this. Is it's kind of like, well, there's a lot of this I don't really know about because they cut so much of it for the broadcast. But what strikes me hilarious is is the the hypnotic method with the electrodes and the and the lights and everything. If you watch like Ghost Adventures or Paranormal State, they use that to try to communicate with spirits. And I'm oh, just geez, like, you're really? off the answers too. Come on. <laughs> wow. Yeah, they like strap ping pong balls over their eyes and flash a bright light at them. And, and what do you see? Uh, yeah. <sighs> Wow, I didn't. I did not know that. The cheesiest part of the movie, and they said, "Yeah, this is a, this is this is our wheelhouse. Let's do this." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> My gosh, I'm telling you, I remember the first time I saw this, seeing those chintzy ass scenes with locusts and Ed, and James Earl Jones screaming over top of them. I was just like. <laughs> What the fuck is going on right now? <laughs> um, but then later in life, going back um, to it, um, because uh, in, in college, and I know this will probably get smirks uh, from some listeners and some people, I, I was a philosophy minor. 
and uh, going back and after learning about a, a lot of uh, Eastern philosophy and in in uh, theology and things of this nature, going back and watching this film is very interesting. Yeah, there's a lot going on in this film. Uh, it, it actually is quite dense, but at the same time, it is so weird that um, I can't help but but really really be drawn to this in the same way that part three also does its own thing. Mm-hmm. So the first three films of this series, I think, are really great movies. Yeah, look, part three is awesome, man. Exorcist 3. Isn't that Jeffrey Dahmer's favorite movie? <laughs> Exorcist, Exorcist 2. No, Exorcist 2 is. Yeah. Was it, which one was playing on the TV when they arrested him at his house? Exorcist 2. Well, I don't know, actually. Uh, I Actually, I'm not sure. It could have been either one. I want to say uh, it's 3. 3 could have been the one that was playing his last victim... Said that he used to watch uh, Exorcist two in like a trance, according to the IMDb, of course, which could uh, we, we'll just say for the record could be full of shit. Yeah, I'm just telling <laughs> it wasn't uh, Mac and me that he watched in a trance. Mac and me, <laughs> Mac, Mac and me <laughs> just the scene where the kid where the kid flies off the cliff. Mac and me will make anyone he wanted just eat people. I mean, <laughs> don't see what a kids movie would have an alien frozen in blowjob face. I mean, that was. <laughs> <laughs> I think Andrew. I think that's that's an episode coming up this year. We should do is a back oh, in the episode. Yes. Oh God. I had I saw that in the theater. God damn it. <laughs> we gotta do Mac and Me and Munchie together. Oh, oh there we go. Yes. And Nuki. <laughs> Not Munchie. Oh my God. I think we Munchie. just developed the next episode of Astro Radio Z. <laughs> Call the I hate you, rip out my eyes, and set them on fire. <laughs> Existence. Stay with uh, Ex- movies that shit on your soul. Go. Why Angelique was afraid of the dark, part one. <laughs> oh, okay, so it looks like here, I just looked it up on uh, the Googles, it was in fact Exorcist 3. Ah. Okay. For Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. With, with Exorcist 2, I mean, you summed it up very well earlier I think was Scott when he was giving his his description in that it came from an era where they didn't know how to do sequels and even in the 80s they were still sequels was still kind of new territory but with this one since Exorcist was so big you have all these bigger named stars in it now too you know I mean this is a film where if you look at it going that person was in it. Wait, James Earl Jones was in this? <laughs> you know, uh, you, you look at that cast list and it's like, wow, what are they doing in this horror sequel? But they didn't know how to handle sequels yet at the time. And everybody was jumping on the bandwagon going, wow, this was one of our, this was our biggest movie ever. Let's stick a bunch of stars in the sequel. <laughs> you know, when the sequel really didn't have anything resembling the first one outside of. We're talking demons. They mentioned demons and possessions, so there you go. And you've got, you know, uh, Linda returning, but that's about it. Part twos were like Exorcist 2, honestly, Mark. Hearing you say that and this talk about how they didn't know how to do them, there's so much, I think so much cool stuff comes from people not knowing what they're doing. Oh, I, you I know. know. It's, de- it's deliberate yes. stuff or lazy stuff that usually results in the worst sequels. Uh, yes, I, wish, yeah, I agree. I wish they would take this, the Exorcist 2 approach, even if it's, even if it doesn't work, 
oh god, it would still be more interesting to me. Well, I wasn't saying that necessarily. You know, it was a bad approach. I was just stating that they didn't quite know how to do it, but they decided no, like to put that. a bunch of stars in it as well. You know, you know, I mean, it, you look at this cast list going. I would have never pegged them to be in a horror sequel, <laughs> but you know, and and that's what I kind of like about it is the fact that uh, they were still exploring how to approach something, and and they gave this a fresh one. While this isn't uh, my favorite, I still just I just love the first one so much. But this one is definitely an interesting time, and people should go into it not expecting the first one at all. You know, no. if Judy Dench was in Hostile too. Yeah, <laughs> I I really firmly uh, agree with Andrew on this. Isn't it? I, I I think that more films, especially when you get to be a franchise and you're making these knockoffs, essentially is what all franchises eventually become. Um, to have that opportunity to take chances and go in left field should be what these series eventually do. But instead, they go the easy route and go where the money is. And then we get the Halloween series, yeah. where you have the same film over and over and over again, Scott. Or Friday the Thirteenth. But anyway. Oh, um, fuck you, buddy. <laughs> oh, been watch it. <laughs> but I had to say, I had to say it just just to get you. But just no, I mean, I was, I was, I was joking. I was joking. It's all good. <laughs> but say what you will. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. And, and you know, like I've said, I used to not like this movie, and I've just watched it more and more, and really. There is so many fascinating things. The ideas behind it. I mean, there's there's bits of Mesopotamian mythology in, in there, and they go to other continents. And there's dream walking, and there's uh, Gnostic uh, symbology, and everything like this. You know what? Say what you will about Exorcist Two. You can call it a success. You can call it a failure, but you can't call it lazy. And that, and that's and that's what, like you're saying, is what so many sequels do. They said, well, let's just do the same thing that we did with the first one, except we'll just do more of it. I I love that. I absolutely love that. I think more films should do that. I'm very glad that we have something like Exorcist Two. And uh, to discount it, I know there's many horror purists out there. People that call themselves true fans that feel this is just an abomination. <laughs> it's kind of like last week when we were talking about Howling 1, where people just like, they discount that movie outright because it's not American Werewolf in London. Yeah, and they're missing out. I feel bad for these people. I feel bad for people who just put themselves as like having this ego of I'm a real fan, I'm a real collector, which I really hate, or I'm a real purist about this, and I won't even consider this entire section. Well, you then you know what? You're kind of missing out. You know, maybe you'll like it, maybe you'll hate it, but I think that you sh- that if you can go into certain things with an open mind, like this movie, you're gonna see some really amazing stuff. I have a theory about the closed-minded movie geek or whatever. I think it stems from, like, did anybody ever watch that movie, the documentary Bully, about bullying? Yes. And there's the one kid that says he's just going to become a bully himself. I really think that being a geek and growing up that way uh, means you get made fun of and you get judged prematurely before people know you're judged on the surface. And I think in a weird way that manifests itself later uh, in the behavior of the geeks sometimes they they will you know out and out reject things and have this weird kind of entitlement and you know be have some kind of bully uh, like kind of tendencies about them without knowing it I think there's a real kind of you know what I'm saying that that kind of that that kind of treatment 
when they're young ends up manifesting itself in a different way. Yeah, they because they finally have a taste of power. So what are they used to? Yeah, it's the same. It's it's it, I've I've seen that happen so so much, and I'm like, man, you really hate this movie on sight. I'm sure it sucks to be hated on sight. Do you know what that's like? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's also the group mentality, though. You know, the herd mentality, especially with now we have social media. Once somebody that is considered to be, let's say, a celebrity or somebody that's considered to be respected says something about a film, the herd wants to follow that. Yeah, they're just and, becoming the whole crappy, you know, think for yourself, man. Look for, exactly. if you say you want original shit, watch Freeway 2 right now on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would say watch all of these films because I think the grouping of films that were brought in tonight, actually, I love all of these movies. So I'm really happy and glad that you guys brought these on tonight. And uh, let's go down the, the, the row and maybe let's do some honorable mentions of some other Gonzo sequels um, just off the top of our head. Let's go ahead. Like I said, I would say uh, Slumber Party Massacre 2 and uh, Leprechaun 4. Andrew? Oh, man, you know what I like, dude? I did this article a few years ago called Sequels That Were Better Than Part 1 with horror, you know? And I mentioned Hostile 2. Well, I don't consider it gonzo. I think it was better than the original. But, like, um, uh, Wrong Turn Part 2 was really, really yes. good sequel because um, it killed everybody in pairs <laughs> for Part 2. And I thought that was a really neat idea to begin the movie as someone ripped in half. And for Part 2, two people carry the respective halves away. But... I love Species 2. Anybody here a fan of Species yes. Part 2? Oh, yeah. That yes. movie is so yes. sexy and so violent. It's about two monsters trying to fuck each other for the yes. whole movie. <laughs> I love Species 2. <laughs> That's a great pick, Andrew. Scott? Uh, I mentioned it briefly before. I haven't watched it in years. Uh, and I, 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 was, I went to the premiere of it, uh, at least the state premiere, I should say. Uh, and I hated it, but you know what? Then I watched it again and again and again. It's Blair Witch Two, and that's another yes. one of those films that's I never. It's yes. never. It's never. Re it's never been a film that I've enjoyed. Although I might change my tune, like I did on Exorcist Two and so many other films. However, I thought the ideas behind the film and a lot of the stuff that's in the film was so interesting, and it was such a 180 from the original. That Book of Shadows, Blair Witch Two, I would say is at least a, a would definitely can't qualify as a Gonzo sequel. Is that yeah, I, I think the only uh, narrative movie? Or did yeah, he hate he hated. Uh, he said he he said it was just a miserable experience. He hated it, and if you listen to his commentary on audio commentary, it's basically a it's kind of off putting because it is about how much he hates narrative film and how much he hates. I would horror, love to hear that. And how much he hates <laughs> horror films too. Well, it's very interesting. Like he that film was really recut. From his yes. original cut. So Joe Berlinger, who made those amazing Paradise Lost documentaries. If Which you are incredible. Those, oh, those Brothers those. Keeper, man. Yep, Brothers Keeper as well. Um, that film was really torn because he he sent it in as a, as, a ver as a commentary on the phenomena that was the Blair Witch. And unfortunately, the studio wanted another Blair Witch film. Right. And then totally recut the film and made him reshoot some stuff. So uh, personally, I don't like the film at all. I think it's got some good ideas, 
right. uh, what he wanted to do, but ultimately I think it, it really is a failure, and that's just my personal opinion. And, and that's my, me too. That's me too. My but. favorite thing about it was the, the DVD, because this was when DVD was really in its prime. Like, DVD was the pinnacle of entertainment, and you had all those crazy special features like the secret of S. Rivera. Did you guys ever right. do that on your DVD? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It, that made it a totally different thing. Like the movie itself, I mean, it's really not a great movie. But when you when you think about it in that way, and you're having fun with this new technology, tying that into the found footage of the original and the story of the movie, how the the witch is making everybody go crazy, and the and the publicity, and all that, it was fun. It, it really was totally fun. Like I've always wanted to like it because I really loved that first film. It's still to this day, even though you know a lot of people tend to not like it. But there, there was such. It was one of those instances where a filmmaker had lofty ambitions and was really trying to say something with the film, and it just got ripped out of his hands. Yeah. And then it got turned into something else. So unfortunately, I, I, I wish I could recommend that one, but it just, it's just not a film that. It is Gonzo, and it's totally out of left field. So it's totally appropriate, Scott. Oh, no, that's ex- I actually completely agree with your assessment of it. Like I've said, I've never enjoyed, I've never liked the film. I haven't watched it in years. But the o- the other film I think of when I think of uh, sequels, especially horror sequels that go completely off the deep end, next to Exorcist 2 would be, yeah, Blair Witch 2 did. Not necessarily successfully, but it did. <laughs> no, totally agreed. Mark, you're next. Oh, jeez. Uh are we picking good ones? <laughs> no, just pick another. No, film. any and anything that you can think of that would just. Oh, go well off then, yeah, the yeah. Right off my head is uh, Halloween three, which a lot of people love. Yeah. I have to revisit, but uh, for me, I when I watched it, but I was younger when I watched it, and I haven't gone back to it since, unfortunately. But Halloween three is one that, it, it was the actual concept of what they from what I've read, what they really wanted to do with the series, but they did it with number three after coming up with, you know, after they had Mike Myers and, and two, then three was a completely different story, nothing to do with Mike Myers, uh, you know, and it's, it was a standalone Halloween story that was a different feel, I think, and a, a, just a different movie altogether uh, that had the title on it. You know, um, and another third one was uh, was Fast and Furious Three: Tokyo Drift, which <laughs> which is a movie that wasn't planned on being a Fast and Furious sequel, and they retooled it for that. And one other one I've got to say that people should avoid is S. Darko. Oh, that movie oh. fucking sucked. So I, I'm it's picking bad ones. At Big Lots. <laughs> I, There's I'm a picking, reason. <laughs> I'm picking bad ones here just because it, it is Gonzo's sequels, and and these are sequels, yeah, that are completely different, but they didn't work, and especially S. Darko. I mean, no one watched Donnie Darko and go, huh, what about the sister? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think you couldn't state it any more clearly than that, Mark. I mean, that's a perfect way to say that. <laughs> I don't think anyone thought that, but some <laughs> producer did, and they thought they were going to be hipster. And oh, it was a that was a chore to sit through. Dude, I that's mean, a cash grab of the highest order. Oh, it was. Yep. 
But was Donnie Darko that big of a movie to start with, though? Cult- it was because it had Drew Barrymore backing it. She it, really, really, really pushed it. I just don't it. remember it being such a huge... It's like... It was huge. Part. It went. It got huge. Like maybe like within like a year or two after its DVD, people were really discovering it, and it was becoming a big hit. Kind of like Boondock Saints. It's no a one, genuine cult. No one film. gave a shit about Boondock Saints in the theater, nope. but then like every like frat boy like rented that movie. Yeah, and it, it was became really, huge. Remember American Psycho and Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer both had sequels. Yeah. Oh my God, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, the sequel is so straight-laced. I wouldn't say that's a gonzo. I remember that, yeah. But as the Gonzo sequel, I would say Amer- American Psycho 2 qualifies. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I was almost going to pick that, but I just now remembered Henry had a part two. I, 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 I watched I watched American Psycho 2 for one reason only, because it was rated R, and I was hoping to see Mia Kunis naked. <laughs> uh, before you even started speaking, Mark, I knew exactly what was going on. I can, I, I can totally get behind that. And I bet uh, you can, <laughs> But here's the thing. The, I, did never saw, uh, I never saw American Psycho 2, despite it having Mila Kunis and William Shatner, uh, who two people I like, but... Uh, because my thing with that was that I heard the the premise of the movie was, okay, she was the survivor of Patrick Bateman. Like, no, <laughs> you didn't understand the. Right off the bat, we get. I, I was getting the idea that whoever made the sequel didn't understand the original. <laughs> no. Yeah, I unfortunately I'm didn't like it. Everybody that watched part one was stupid. There's also that plus. Oh, yes. Right. Yeah. That's well. I don't want to. That could be a whole show. Me getting yeah. into why I why I feel that uh, American Psycho is one of the most overrated horror films of all time. But anyway. No, I no. I I actually really like uh, the. I I don't like the book that everybody raved about. I like the movie a lot better than. The no, movie. I agree with you totally. I thought on that, that. I thought I that Mary. Totally. I thought that Mary uh, Heron and um. Oh God, I'm gonna. Up her name, the screenwriter Genevieve. There, I thought they did a great job on the film. Guinevere Turner. Guinevere Turner, thank you. Uh, Guinevere Turner. I think they did a great job on on the movie, and I thought, wow, that was. Uh, they actually turned it into a decent film, uh, which was not, and it was not a good book. And uh, I also think they did a good job when they teamed up on Notorious Betty Page a few years later. Oh, that's a good one too. That's a really good one. Okay, Angelique, you're last. Go for it. Which board two? Oh man! You mean witch trap? You mean witch? Yeah, it was. It was no. Yes, it was a hard, hard, hard decision between House Two and Witchboard Two. Now you do mean just 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 because Derek said it. Do you you do mean Witchboard Two, The Devil's Doorway, and not Witch Trap? Yes. Okay. Witchboard Two, The Devil's Doorway. Yeah, I was thinking you were thinking Kevin Tenney's Witch Trap. No, 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 no. Witchboard 2, The Devil's Doorway with okay, the landlord okay. and the weird possessed Amy Dolans, Lorraine Nguyen. I have, I yes. have an autographed copy of the DVD here. <laughs> you lucky dog. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good flick. It is. It's great. And, and it is insane. And that's, you know, the dream sequences alone are just nuts. I'm going to have to check that one out. I have part three on DVD, and it's that on one's YouTube. not too bad. It's totally on YouTube. Oh. 
Oh shit, you know what I forgot about? Waxwork part two. Yes! Oh, that's a good one! That one's fucking crazy, <laughs> man. That's just like a. I mean, because the, the first one, like, went back to all these, like, little weird things like Phantom of the Opera and, the, 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 and uh, Dracula and stuff. But Waxwork 2 is just like this tongue in, completely tongue in cheek, never ending homage to every film everything. genre <laughs> everything that movie that movie is another the epitome of gonzo sequels thank yeah, you they, for should, that they should remake that and put chris hemsworth in it oh but put it in the cabin and <laughs> oh, oh wait 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 <laughs> sorry i'm gonna stop because somebody might do that i'm gonna <laughs> and on that note folks we're gonna end this episode um i hope you all enjoyed this I would totally recommend you go you guys go out look up these films most of them are readily available except for freeway 2 um, as of right now the only real easy way to see that is via YouTube with the weird tie the hard-coded subtitles <laughs> so do it do it it's totally worth it but please go seek all of these films out don't listen to the vast majority of horror audiences that dismiss all of these films um, I, I kind of feel bad that I did a horrible job explaining and selling Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2, because the rest of you guys knocked it out of the park. I feel like I, I, I had training wheels on, and I needed to I needed to beef up my game. I, I thought I did a horrible job of selling No, nah, you sold my movie better than I did, homie. <laughs> well, there we go. It all there worked we go. out. So please go out and check out these films. Um, they'll be listed. I'll put them in the liner notes so you guys can uh, – See the titles proper and go check them out. Cause great picks, guys, tonight. I'm really happy um, with everything. So let's go ahead and wrap up the episode and let's tell everybody where they can find, if they choose to, find where all of our wares are and where, if you want to find out more about us, you can. Mr. Gonzarific, go for it. Oh, hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to me and for thanks for listening to us and all this stuff. If you like Freeway and Freeway 2, crazy shit like that you might like the movies i make um on amazon on demand we have uh, mondo gonzo fake blood uh pajama nightmare and the underground cinema cinema with an s these are all movies with um female lead characters doing wild and crazy shit and uh gonzorific on youtube g-o-n-z-o-r-i-f-f-i-c you can watch a bunch of our old stuff and weird stuff and crazy stuff and vimeo as well we just put out uh, our movie booty meat for free Check it out. <laughs> oh yeah, I liked booty meat. <laughs> I forgot that she eats she eats her, her butt twice in the opening credits. Nice. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Scott Davis. Uh, you can catch me at moviocrity.com. Uh, I'm actually going – I have a bunch of stuff planned for this year if I can get them together. So hopefully you'll see a lot more stuff happening on there really soon. Uh, you can also check out my web series, Moviocrity, at vimeo.com slash channel slash moviocrity. Awesome. Mark the movie man. And you can find all my stuff at specialmarkproductions.com. Uh, that is, uh, you go there, and then from there you can get out to my uh, YouTube channel where I do mostly movie reviews, but I do a few other things on there occasionally as well on YouTube slash specialmark. Um, 
is my channel. Then we have a podcast in Special Mark Productions as well, where um, uh, many of these fine people are on as uh, well there. And then we, uh, I even have a link to a playlist of the stuff I do for WeLiveFilm.com. So I, I'm, I'm pretty much everywhere. I'm just looking forward to surviving the Microsoft conflict, personally. Uh, but other than that... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, SpecialMarkProductions.com or on Twitter at MovieManiac3D. Awesome. Angelique? You can find some movie reviews from myself and a bunch of other awesome cats at TheLostHighway.com. And then, of course, if you ever just want to chat, hit me up on Facebook. Look for me. My name's Angelique Bone. I'm not that difficult to find. And, of course, I'm your host, Derek Carey. You can contact me at astroradiozpodcast at gmail.com. Um, there's a Tumblr site, and if you want to, you can go to Twitter at astroradioz and contact me there. You can find out more about us at astroradioz.com, where you can find all of the episodes along with Film Jerks, which may, there's hints about it coming back. Maybe not on podcast form, but we'll find out. We're still trying to work out the kinks and bring film jerks back to you. Um, but also the Stooge cast, which I just talked with Mr. Corey J. Udler, who Astro Radio Z fans should know is the original host of Astro Radio Z. He's the guy who made this show. He just scored a huge interview for the Stooge cast. So I can't disclose what that is yet. But let's just say, fans of the Stooge cast, you're going to be very excited when you find this out. Um, so please check us out. Go. We're on YouTube now where there's much. it's a much more visual uh, show than the podcast. I mean, the podcast is the same as it's always been. So go subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you find podcasts. Astro Radio Z is there. But if you, if you want a much more visual aspect to the show and would like to see some of the trailers to some of the movies – um, that are featured on the show that we talk about, they will be. They are integrated into the show now. Or you can check out some of our um, playlists, um, especially if you're into the franchise episodes. Over the course of last week, I went in and made playlists for the Witchcraft, Vice Academy, and Howling episodes. Oh. And you can go in per uh, and play the playlist. You'll get the episode first. Then you'll get tons of ancillary uh, videos, be it behind-the-scenes footage, uh, trailers, and interviews, and other things associated to the films. Actually, there are more videos for the Vice Academy episodes that may entertain you more than the movies themselves. (laughs) Uh, But if you want to dive into those... uh, those episodes more and find out more the playlists are there for you um to sit and dig into those films more so go check it out on the astro radio z youtube page i'd appreciate give it a subscribe and uh why don't you comment and let me know what you think of everything that's going on i'm throwing out a bunch of things this year to try and uh, spice up the show and uh, get it out to more people so let me know what you think of this stuff and uh i'd really appreciate it i I just want to give you guys a good show and put it out to as many people as possible. So, for me and all of us on Astro Radio Z, thanks for listening. Say goodbye, people. Goodbye, goodbye people. Bye, guys. <laughs>